If you're not changing, you're choosing. Welcome to On Your Terms with Aaron King, a show about living a life you truly love. Here's Aaron. Hey friends, Aaron King here, and welcome to today's episode of On Your Terms. Today's episode is one of the most powerful interviews that we have had so far on the show, featuring one of my dear friends, Javon McCormick. And just imagine that you are born the son of a black pimp father and a white single mother on welfare. Imagine that part of your everyday life are moments of abuse, poverty, discrimination, threat of eviction. Well, 50 years ago, that was Javon McCormick's reality. Fast forward to today, he is now the CEO of Scribe Media, which is a multi-million dollar publishing company. They help entrepreneurs, executives, and experts write, publish, and market their books. Javon was recently named the number one CEO in Austin, Texas, the number one company culture at his organization by Entrepreneur Magazine, and his brand new book, Modern Leader, has been a WSJ and USA Today bestseller. Now, I first met Javon back when he was called JT and I was called Aaron Gargan. I met him on his very first day of work at Scribe Media in Tucker Max's apartment where I was a client working on my very first book. Now, since then, we've both undergone name changes and all kinds of evolutions to our careers. But one thing remains the same. I still feel so deeply lucky to call this man a dear friend and so thankful that we're able to bring you this wisdom-stuffed episode. This episode will have you laughing, crying, thinking. It will fire you up to level up. But fair warning as well, this conversation does include a story that might be a little bit triggering to some. We have uh, sort of some, some hateful derogatory language that is used as Javon is recounting a particularly devastating moment from his childhood. So just a warning there. If you have children in the car, just be aware that this conversation might not be ideal for you. But anyway, with no further ado, friends, here is the one and only incredible conversation with Javon McCormick. So um, how's the book going? Yeah, it sold out day one and and totally caught us off guard. Hit number three on Wall Street <laughs> Journal bestseller. Like, like We're not expecting that. I, I wasn't at, at all. Um, but then, then again, I can share with you. Um, so back in November, I, I, and keep in mind, you know, I'm in Austin, so I was named the best CEO in Austin. And then three, let's call it a month ago, um, Ernst and Young EY named me entrepreneur of the year. And, and so I'm like, the, the guy with the GED, nice. <laughs> oh my gosh. JT, congratulations. I mean, it's so well-deserved. I mean, thank you. It's you deserve it and you've earned it. And what I love about the way you said that is you're saying it in a way where it's like part of you is a little bit like, wow, that's pretty amazing. But also deep down, you're like, yeah, I worked my fucking ass off. Right. You know, I, I appreciate you saying that because so many people want to at times don't want to get into when I was at the software company and they want to talk about, OK, I was the lowest paid person, but then became the president in two years. But I don't write code. And everyone wants to celebrate, oh, my God, the come up. And it, it was so amazing. And then they'll ask, how did you do it? And they don't want this part of it. I said, well, here's one of the ways. I was there for five years. And in five years, I only took 11 days vacation. 
And, and, and right now, you know, in the, in the environment we live in of mental health days and, and work-life balance and the four-day work week, no one wants to talk about, wait a minute, you only took 11 days vacation in five years. And, and I tell people, yeah, we live in a society now where people take 11 days vacation in Q1. And, and so it, it's, yeah. to your point, I, I worked my ass off, um, but I, I, people ask, would you do it again? Yep. So it's interesting you say that, right? So, uh, you know, that book by the Patagonia CEO, yep. uh, let my people go surfing, right? So we're recording this right now. It's August, 2022. You can see I have wet hair because I had a moment this morning. I woke up at six and we, I live in Southern California, as you know, and the waves were pumping and I have been just head down working, no break the last eight straight days. And I said to myself, okay, I know I have a podcast with JT. I can either have really nice hair and miss the waves, or I could go surfing right now for an hour, get my Zen on and show up with looking a little less professional than I'd like with this wet hair, but feeling a lot more Zen. I went for option B. So forgive I'm that. I'm down with the wet yeah. hair. <laughs> I figured because you have this uh, evolved approach to company culture and leadership. So I figured if anyone was going to forgive me the less than professional appearance, it would be you. Um, but, you know, I think what's so interesting about you, JT, is that First of all, I love our story of how we met because I met you on the very first day how we were at Tucker Max's apartment in yep. Austin, Texas. And I walked in, I'm a brand new author and you're a brand new CEO. And we were both just blink, blink, excited. And we just connected right away. And we both had no idea what we were doing. And it feels like a lifetime ago, but it was really 2016, I believe. So only about six years ago. Yeah. And I remember in that moment, I had been working with, it was formerly Book in the Box, now Scribe Media, um, your company, which has been named the number one place to work. It's won all these incredible accolades from entrepreneur Ernst & Young. I mean, you guys are crushing it. Um, but back then, it was just a couple of you in his apartment just trying to figure out what it was going to be about. And I'll never forget that when you took the reins of my project, I was just, I think, I, I mean, I paid like, it was a teeny little package. I was a nobody. And you treated me like I was freaking James Patterson at the, <laughs> the top publishing company. And you turned, you were texting me personally and you turned the project around. And I'll never forget, you turned an experience that really was frustrating and disappointing and really upsetting into this unbelievable experience where I walked away saying to myself, gosh, I really hope that when my clients walk away from an interaction with me, that they feel how JT made me feel today. I mean, I really do. I mean, from the very beginning, it was, it was just this, this relentless pursuit of extraordinary, of above and beyond. And, you know, we were laughing earlier in this podcast, you know, because we've both kind of undergone these rebrands since then. Back then I was Aaron Gargan and you were JT. Now you're Javon and I'm Aaron King. And it's funny because I don't know a lot of people that maybe don't know the story behind, they know my rebrand was I just got married to Hartman. So big deal, not a very interesting story. <laughs> but your story is a lot more powerful. So do you mind sharing that, that no, evolution? No, not, not at all. So so how that came about uh, in my, or, you know, I'm 50 now. So, so in my uh, early 20s, I was the mailboy at, at a insurance company. I, I was a file clerk, mailboy, you know, but in, entry-level position. And I didn't want to do that forever. And so I, I started applying to, to different places. And to your point earlier, I knew I could sell. So I, I was trying to get on people's calendars, get get appointments. And, and this is before 
uh, you could just uh, blast email your 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 resume everywhere. Like you had to cold call places and, oh, and yeah. drop your resume by. And so I could not get on anyone's calendar and couldn't get appointments, nothing. One gentleman, white guy, he picks up the phone and the first thing out of his mouth was, how did you get a black first name, Javon, and an Irish last name, McCormick? And Aaron, what, what jumped out to me was at that time, I guess like I I'm 21, 22 years old. I did not know my last name was Irish. My, my mother got our last name when she was in the orphanage. We have no clue where, why, how we have this last name. So to, to this day, I have this last name. Couldn't tell you where it comes from. Wow. So he tells me it's Irish. And I'm like, oh, sweet. My last name's Irish. I'm so excited. But then I hang up the phone and it hits me. Oh, that's why I'm not getting callbacks because they're seeing my first name. So, mm -hmm. so my full name is Javon Thomas McCormick. So I said, okay. Uh, and, and it's funny to your point, rebrand. Uh, I, I said, I'm going to go by JT McCormick because you're not going to know who that is. The next week, Aaron, appointments, callbacks, uh, invites. And I was like, wow. And, and it was bittersweet. I was happy. I cracked the code and figured out, okay, what are the rules of the playbook for me to be able to get in? I had figured out one of the rules. Gosh. It was bitter because here I was having to essentially edit myself in order to get in. Mm. And so it was, it was very bittersweet, but, but I got in. And from that day forward, I went by JT McCormick uh, all the way up until the George Floyd murder. And I remember specifically when I, you know, the whole George Floyd murder thing happened and, and what just was disgusting to me, Aaron, was, was all the damn virtue signaling that was going on blackout mm -hmm. Tuesday on social media. Like that, that was going to do anything to change anything for anyone. And, and you and I both know half the people who were doing the black square were only doing it. So they didn't get called out. And so and then I'm laughing because we're arguing over a syrup bottle. A damn syrup bottle. Like mm -hmm. what, what change is that going to bring? Mm -hmm. But but here's what jumped out to me. I read a piece that at the time there were only three black Fortune 500 CEOs. And that jumped out. I was like, oh, wow, who are they? So I go and look them up and I saw their names. Marvin Ellison, Kenneth Frazier, Roger Ferguson. And as a bonus, the wealthiest black man in America is named Robert Smith. Hmm. So immediately I say to myself, oh, those are four very ethnic free names, if you will. And wow. so I said to myself, you know what? Okay. I'm not a Fortune 500 CEO, but you know, we, we've, as you said, we've won a few awards at Scribe. We've done a few things and we've, we've got some success and some accomplishments. And I said, yeah, I'm going to reclaim my name and start going by Javon. And, mm -hmm. and the, the whole thing was, I didn't do it for me. I built my whole career as JT McCormick. I actually did it because I realized that I was part of the problem. And, and you're, if, if you're not changing, you're choosing. So I was choosing to continue to be part of the problem where I was showing, oh, okay, in order to do what I've done, you're going to have to edit yourself. And so I said, I don't want other people to have to do what I did. So for every Jesus, Rosalia, uh, Juan, uh, Ray Bonte, uh, Laquisha, Martavius, 
I said, I wanted them to see there's a Javon in the CEO chair and that maybe one day when they hit the business world, they can work next to a Javon and not just a JT. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What I think is really complex is, do you think if you could go back in time, would you have made the same choice? Uh, hell yeah. I, I, I've been asked that question numerous times. Uh, for the times that we were in, the early 90s, that's that's what was called for. Uh, again, the goal now is to break that frame, the old playbook, if you will, where you know people are looking at resumes and where'd you go to school, what's your name, what's your background versus, okay, this may be a great candidate and we're not even providing an opportunity for them to come in and, and, and try to interview for a role just because they don't have a college degree. And, and here's what's mind-blowing to me, Aaron, you, you know this, there, there's people who are receiving opportunities to interview and are receiving career roles, but they have a liberal arts degree. And, and what blows me away by this broken playbook, and, and I'll speak on my four kids, my four kids right now, if they ever want to go to college, it's already paid for. So I'm, I'm going, I, I, so no one thinks I'm attacking them. I will talk about my own four kids. Here's what's key. If my kids go to college and it's already paid for, and they don't have any student loans afterwards, they don't have to work when they're going to college. And all they do is go to class, go to the library, go to their apartment or their dorm. That's nothing but glorified high school. The only difference is mom's not there to wake you up. So what does sure. it really tell me that you accomplished? Nothing. So, mm -hmm. so I find it interesting that so many of the roles that people are applying for, do they really require a college degree? Do you really need a college degree to be a, a, an assistant project manager? No. And, and you damn sure, even if you have a liberal arts degree and you're an assistant project manager, what does the degree do for the, the role. So to your point, yes, if I went back again, I'd make the same decision. I, I did what I needed to do to get to where I wanted to be. Yeah. It's interesting because whether you are, you know, a person of color or a woman in business, there's this certain amount of, of posturing, of, of crafting an optic that you know is optimal in the marketplace for that time. I mean, I know for a fact that I remember being in my 20s and just like you, I started out in sales. I mean, 100% commission, calling everyone in the yellow pages to go into an office with school. a printed out phone or printed out PowerPoint asking for paper checks to be on broadcast television. Like nothing about that is remotely relevant in 2022. Not not right. a word, right? MapQuest printouts and, you know, <laughs> driving around Baltimore City. It was like Anchorman meets the wire, just knocking on doors. And but I remember being a young woman and I'm meeting with older dudes. And I remember I learned to lower my voice. I learned to slow my rate of speech. I wore those power suits and I drove my dad's old beat up Beamer that I bought from him that I didn't even like. It was such a dude car for, you know, charged me a couple thousand bucks and gave it to me. But I was really I was really trying to fit in yeah. this idea of what was going to get me a yes, what was going to get me a deal. And it's only really, I mean, I'm 40 now, you're 50. It's only really until recently, you know, I, I told you earlier, my, my agency was acquired in January and I don't know what it was about that. But for me, ever since that happened, it, it like ticked off some kind of success box in my mind 
where I found myself the last six months stepping into my Javon, like stepping into my full force, not toned down self. And the question I have is, do you think that do you think that there is a way for the future generations of employment in professional environments to be their authentic selves and to let their identities shine without, like, do we have to achieve a certain accolade or level, like with you being named number one CEO in Austin and all these incredible, like, does it take these accolades where we like have to earn our way into being authentic? Unfortunately, I, I it's it's been that way, and and to, again to your point, and what I said earlier, my belief is okay. Now I have this this deep responsibility, not obligation. I have a responsibility to now give back to uh, people who are now coming up on this next generation yes. so they don't have to do the same thing. Matter of fact, let me, let, allow me to share this with you, Aaron. Here, here's, uh, this, this will answer your question, in, in my opinion. So, so when um, Ernst & Young, EY, named me Entrepreneur uh, of the Year a, a month ago. The, Amazing. The, Congratulations. Uh, That's so huge. Thank you, ma'am. So, so there, were, there were nine finalists. And I guess they they asked all the finalists this, this same question. They said, why do you deserve to win this award? And my response was, I, I, I laughed and they said, well, why, why are you laughing? I said, because I, I personally find the awards kind of comical that we celebrate CEOs. But the fact of the matter is you can have an amazing vision. You can have an amazing plan. But if you don't have a great team to execute, I don't give a damn about your plan or your, or your vision. So mm -hmm. I'm only as good as the great people that I get to work with because yeah. they execute on the vision and the plan. Yeah. Put that aside. I said, but you're asking me, why do I feel that I deserve to win? I go, I can tell you why I believe it would be most impactful if I win. And, and I said, here's the thing. In the communities that I grew up in, I only knew that there were going to be three avenues out. Rapper, athlete, or drug dealer. Mm. And unfortunately for me, I sucked at all three. So, <laughs> but I said, so here's why it would be impactful because I didn't even know what the word entrepreneur meant until I was 29, 30 years old. I said, so now if the communities that I come from can see a Javon one entrepreneur of the year, you have now shown them something that is possible that we didn't even know what, what was possible. That's why I feel that it would be most impactful because now they see what can be achieved? Well, no wonder you won the award. That's so incredible and such. I'm sure there was just a mic drop moment in that room where they were just like, "All right, well, he deserves it because because <laughs> but, but that's at the core of of your ethos, right? I mean, every if you guys aren't following Javon on LinkedIn, I mean, your posts you do not hold back, and right. I love that about you. I mean, you are. And even I even love the description on your Amazon page for your new book, Modern Leader. It's like if you're not going to finish this book. Don't read it, you know. And, and then you said, you said, "Hey, this isn't a this isn't a playbook because I don't think this is a game." I mean, you're just you just put it all out there, and I love that about you. So, so tell us about Modern Leader. It came out in July. You were named number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. It sold out. It blew up. You have James Altucher and David Goggins, all these incredible individuals backing the book. Tell me about the moment where you were like. 
I've been writing everyone else's books with them. And I know I have a book in me. Like, when was the moment where you said, this is my time? I need to write this book. What, what's interesting, Aaron, it was, uh, it, it was actually our team that said, you, you need to put this in a book. You know, they, everything in there, they've heard me say countless times over and over and over again. And they're like, this needs, we got to share this. They're like, you're the new modern day leader of what leadership yeah. should actually look like. And, and, and it's interesting, Aaron, I, I actually pissed off some of our own authors because to, to your point on the, the LinkedIn post, I put out a post and I, I said, there are over 20,000 books that have been published with uh, the term uh, leadership, but with, with the term playbook in it. And huh. to your point, I said, if, if you're following a playbook, can you actually be a leader? And so that that really rubbed a couple of people the wrong way, uh, because I, I, I truly believe that, it, it, especially now. Think about this for a second, Aaron. You can go Warren Buffett, who's in his 90s, all the way down to the 22-year-old startup. Right now in our society, there is not a CEO or a leader in this country, on this globe, who has ever faced all the challenges that we have right now all at once. Mm. So if you, you can look at Warren Buffett. Yes, he has seen uh, racial tensions back in the, in the 60s. He's seen the Vietnam War. He's seen inflation. Hell, he has seen Roe versus Wade come and go. But sure. no one, none of us have seen it all together. And right now, leaders, you're seeing real leaders have to step up and lead. This is almost like some Lewis and Clark expedition type things because mm -hmm. you're you're constantly wondering, okay, what's going to be the next thing? Inflation hits, you know, 9%, interest rates are go going skyrocketing, uh, gas prices. And so, you know, Roe versus Wade and all of these things have now started, you know, coming into the workplace. We no longer have a workplace anywhere in this country where it's leave your life at the door. Everyone huh. now, they're, they're walking in with their whole self and you're seeing the uprising with um, people trying to unionize it at Starbucks, mm -hmm. Apple Store. Uh, um, you, you're seeing it at the Amazon warehouses. And, and if you really go back and you look at, at what we've come from, unions were at their peak back in the 40s and 50s because we had just come out of the depression and people were tired of the way companies were treating them. Mm -hmm. We're right back to that situation where mm. people are tired of how companies are treating them. And now you're starting to see unions are, are picking up because if you don't put people first, you got a problem. Mm -hmm. And isn't it interesting that these cycles, you study history and it, it's, it's, so, it's so predictable in a way, right? You had the Industrial Revolution and the coal mines and, and you know, people beginning to worry about the safety of the workers. Then 50 years later, to your point, we have the, the height of the unions. Now here we go, 50, 70 years later. Again, war, pandemic, these huge triggers, these huge upheavals. But as you said, you know, Warren Buffett didn't have a TikTok profile. He didn't right. have there. He wasn't dealing with bots and AI and robots and influencers and and a former president that's having his you know house stormed. And I mean, to your point, it really every generation does say, "Oh, it's here we go. It's you know everything's falling apart." It's every generation says this. Yep. However, not every generation had the internet, and yep. so so in a tumultuous season like this. I mean, 
I only lead a team. I have a small team. We're five. We're, we're a brand new business. We're six weeks in, and my new company, uh, Get More Yes Media. And so, you know, I know at one point you had five, six. Now you've scaled to how many employees do you have at, at Skyder? 115, Aaron. 115 full full time W two. The payroll is real. Oh, that's real. <laughs> that's real. That's the monthly. There's a monthly minimum that has to happen. Yes. So, but so in being a leader and having scaled, you know, book in the box, now scribe media from a couple people to this 115 person award winning, unstoppable trajectory. I mean, the culture is contagious. You have these diehard advocates. What do you think is looking around in this season? One of the, one of the mistakes or, or maybe just a behavior that you're noticing that makes you kind of think, oh, I don't know if y'all should be doing that. Like that you're seeing other leaders make when things are as tumultuous as they are right now. Uh, the, the the biggest thing that I see, again, my opinion, because sure. I, you know, everybody's going to have different opinions on, on yeah. leadership, um, is, is people... So many leaders seem to have not been able to adopt the the my belief, which is put people first. I, it's very simple. Aaron, you know, all I have is a GED. N never graduated high school, never went to college. I got a GED. And, and so I, I make it very simple. People process profits. And with those profits, you can do great things for the communities that we live and work in. But it all starts with people. And I've, mm -hmm. I've literally had people... Uh, challenge me on this. They're like, no, no, no. You got to build a great process first to put people into. And I said, okay, if that is true, who's building the process? Mm. Oh, uh, people. Oh, exactly. So we're right back at put people first, people process profits. And with those profits, you give back to the people who are executing on the work. You do great things for the communities that you live and work in. And so I, I believe business itself is, is, you know, how do we support people? How do we put people first? We, we, we ourselves, uh, we did an 8.3 um, salary inflation increase across the board. Was it wow. costly? Hell yeah, was it, it was costly. Uh, but we have medical and, and, and dental benefits. And one of the things that I'm most proud of that that we put in place, um, we have what's called an emergency fund. And, and I did this because I, I read an article once that said that 45% uh, of Americans don't have $400 spare uh, in case of an emergency. Wow. And, and I thought, ah, that's that's horrible. And, and, and I also remember my mom never had uh, $400 spare cash. So we we put this emergency fund in place, and, and what it is is no questions asked. If someone says, "Hey, um, I need to hit the emergency fund," we give people twenty five hundred dollars interest free, no questions asked, mm -hmm. and then they don't start paying it back for for sixty days, and then we set it up on, on payments. And so, but but the whole point was that no one should have to drive around worried that, oh my gosh, if I get a flat tire, I can't afford to pay for it. Uh, oh my gosh, if if an emergency came up, I, I can't afford to pay for it. And I've even, you know, there's always going to be somebody who critiques you and there are people say, well, you should pay people more uh, and then you wouldn't have to have something like that. Well, what I found interesting about the comment is people are saying we should pay people more without even knowing what, what our average salary is, which our average salary as a company is $77,900. So, so it's, it's interesting how people are quick to critique without even knowing all the facts. What I really, really admire about you is you, first of all, 
your book is called Modern Leader, which you're you're basically claiming that a lot of leaders are actually followers. And so you are a pioneer. You're paving a path. Some of the things that you talk about on this podcast, but also that you're known for, um, not that they're like radical, but they're a little revolutionary. They're not what everyone's doing. And obviously it's working for you because you're growing the business. You're seeing these accolades. It's working. This podcast is called On Your Terms. And a big topic that we talk about is how do we ignore the haters and ignore the negative feedback and really trust our instincts and our intuition, but not like in a delusional way, right? Because it's like we all have our truth tellers. You know, we, we have our truth tellers when we maybe we're getting a little too wild or a little too off off base. So you always seem to me to be so, so sure. I mean, when you're making your decisions, like, how do you make your decisions? I mean, if everyone's like, this is crazy and your gut is like, this is what we need to do. Do you second guess yourself? Do you have your personal board of directors? Like, how have you been so successful in implementing these new and fresh concepts? Or do you ever question yourself or second guess yourself and wonder if it's the right direction? No. It, it, so so two things with that, Erin. Uh, a, a lot of it is, like you said, when, when you read the book or you hear some of the things that I say or or I post, they're not revolutionary. You you actually look at them. You're like, yeah, no, no shit. It's, it's common sense, but <laughs> no one's doing it. And That's just, right. Here, here, here's, a, here's a perfect one. Think about how long the the broken playbook has been running and corporate America has been using this phrase forever. We want to recruit and retain. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I don't want to retain anyone. Do you have, Look up the definition of retain. To keep possession of. I mm. don't want to retain anyone. We want to attract and provide. We want to attract great people to work with us. Mm-hmm. And we want to provide an amazing culture, fulfilling work, great pay. So we want to attract and provide, not recruit and retain. Mm-hmm. Um, here's another one. You, you hear you hear this all the time, especially the bigger the company, the more you hear it. Human capital, mm. human capital. Are we are we freaking trafficking people now? Human capital. <laughs> it, it's so so a lot of the things that the, if people would just sit back and take take inventory, like why do we say that? That's horrible. Yeah. Like human yeah. capital. Uh, so so that's part one. Part two to to your question is, I. This, this is my philosophy, one of them in, in leadership, is never be the smartest person in the room. If, mm. if you're ever in a room with me and I'm the smartest person in there, run. Um, so so never, <laughs> never be the smart. And, and that's the problem with so many uh, what I call playbook leaders is mm-hmm. they have this belief that they're supposed to be the smartest person in the room or they're going to be exposed and they're not a real leader because they don't know all the answers. Your role is not to know all the answers. Mm. Your role is to serve and support the people that you are working with. No one works for you. People work with you. So when when I sit in a room, my goal is to, number one, uh, three basic rules. Rule number one, surround the company with people far smarter than myself. Mm. Rule number two, surround myself with people far smarter than myself. Rule number three, Repeat rules one and two. And mm. and so I will ask questions. What do you all think about this? What are your thoughts on this? Um, but some of the things that I come up with, I'll run them by 
uh, you know, w w some of the, the the people within the company. But at the same time, I don't need to run anything by recruit and retain. Like that just, that that's a thing that just needs to go away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, it's so interesting when you break down those phrases because we toss them around all the time. And yet, you know, we don't really think about you know, you, you do books. Words matter. Okay. Words, words matter. Really matter. And, and yeah, I, I never thought about that. I mean, the, the, you hear these terms all the time. And, but that, that's what I like about you is you, what I love about you is you're always taking a look and saying like, well, what does this mean? And why are we doing this? And, and I think that your, your relentless pursuit of this focus on people as humans, not human capital, but humans, um, and how they work and what matters to them and their families and the community. You know, whenever I talk to you, I always feel like I have your undivided attention. And I think that's a really rare quality for a leader, for a modern leader, for a CEO, because the more I talk to, you know, the more you level up, the more you, you know, you grow your circle. You, you, you find people that have bigger teams and bigger footprint and bigger impact. And I think it's really rare to speak with a leader the bigger they get where you feel like they are locked and loaded on you and they're present. Um how do you think you do that with, with 115 people? And like, as your star rises, I mean, are you, you know, cause I'm sure everyone that's known you the last six years, you're, you're getting bigger and bigger. And so you only have, you have, you have four kids, you have your wife, you have, you have, I assume you have time to work out. Like, how do you, as you're leveling up and scaling manage, like, how has it evolved? I guess your relationship management and your network nurturing and management. So I am very, in, intentional, very intentional. You know, you, you, you hear so many people, here's another one, word, words matter. You hear a lot of people say, oh, I got a lot of friends. I actually don't. I, mm. I, I, I know a lot of people, but I only have about five friends. And for me, it comes down to define what a friend is. A friend is someone that if you're filing bankruptcy, they're going to be there to help you pay your mortgage payment. Yeah. Of, of all the people I know, those aren't friends. And, and so I keep it very simple of the people that I'm surrounded with that I call friends. That way I can make more time for the, the, the people that I serve and support within the, the, the company. You know this. I mean, I, I get more podcast uh, invites now more than ever. I get invited to, to speak on stage more, more than ever. And I, I'm very uh, intentional on, okay, what will I do? What won't I do? And, and so, so for me, I, this is how my life boils down. Okay. Uh, my, my five pillars, God, health, family, business, and investing. If it doesn't fall within those five pillars, I don't do it. I love football. I love the NFL. Tom Brady didn't send me any of his, of his bonus checks. So I didn't watch the Super Bowl. And, and so <laughs> It's, I'm very intentional. Like you said, I've got four kids, eight, seven, five, and three. I rather oh spend that two and a half hours with them versus watching the, the Super Bowl. So it, it really comes down to being an intentional with, with your time. And, and right back to what you said about uh, words matter and, and the, the, the haters. For me, haters was, was very very easy to deal with because I received a great lesson at eight years old when my mom and I were standing in the welfare line. My, my mom's white, my dad's black. 
uh, so so I'm mixed race. We were standing in line waiting for our, our monthly allotment of food stamps. I was eight years old. This is the late, late 70s. Wow. And an older white lady looked at my mom and she spit in her face and called her a nigger lover. But she called her a nigger lover. Oh, my God. And, and no one came to my mom's rescue. No one said anything. My mom had to stand there with tears in her and, you know, coming down her face. She wiped the spit from her face because she had to feed her mixed race son. In that moment at eight years old, what I realized was, okay, I'm mixed race. Everyone's not going to like me. No matter what I do in this world, there's going to be someone who didn't agree that my mom, my mom should have had a child by a black man. There's going to be someone who doesn't like the fact that I'm mixed race. Someone's not going to like my skin color. So at eight years old, I came to peace with the fact that, hey, everyone's not going to like me. So right now in, in leadership, it's, it's truly a gift because mm. everyone's not going to agree with you. Every decision you make, there are going to be people who hate how you come off R right now. There's a lot of people who hate that I attacked uh, the three letters DEI and because I think it's, it's um, excuse my language here. I think it's bullshit. Uh, say the phrase diversity equity and inclusion mm. the only reason we're breaking it down to dei because it gets really tough when you say diversity now we've got to dig into a conversation well what are we talking about when we say diversity are we talking about black people are we talking about latinos are we talking about gay transgender what are we actually talking about because you can be in a room with 10 middle-aged white men and have diversity. Some yeah. went to college, some didn't, some have kids, some are married, some are Methodist, some are Lutheran. Yep. So, and, and then when you break it down for people like that, it really shatters how they're seeing diversity. And mm -hmm. so my point is, I find it very interesting, the word itself, because we weaponized it. Diversity itself, when you boil it down, what are we talking about? We're talking about people. That's it. Mm, yeah. No, it's so interesting that you bring this up. Um, I was on a conference call about a week ago and everyone on the conference call, like legacy old school company, I say the stale mail pale, stale mail pale crew. <laughs> and, and we're doing a kickoff call. They have a sales conference next year and we're doing the kickoff call. I'm the keynote speaker. And, and they're like, we're just so glad that we got more diversity in this year's speaker lineup. And I was like, oh, that's great. I'm like, who else did you guys get? And there's silence on this conference call with the stale mail pails. And there's someone kind of coughs awkwardly. And I'm like, what did I say? I'm thinking like, like, who'd you get? You know, like, did we get Javon McCormick? Like, who did we get? Right. <laughs> and they, and the guy goes, well, oh, we got, you know, like, you know, cause you, like you're, we, we got you. <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, I am like, I'm the bar for like, I am literally this like privileged white, like, are you kidding me? But I guess they literally had never had a female keynote speaker. So to your point, it's interesting that we all have a different definition of what diversity looks like. And the bar, it's not that it's low or it's high. It's just so all over the place. Like it's not even a bar. It's more of a swirl of, of what is your culture and what has it been? I mean, these guys are Midwest, old school. And to them, they've never even had a female keynote speaker in 2022. And so I think it's what I love about you, again, words matter, pressing that is let's let's define not even what success looks like, but before we define what success looks like, 
what are we all on the same page with what this means right. to the organization? And and those are complex conversations to have, you know? Very. And, and, and some people are scared to have them. Some people don't want to have them. Uh, some people are nervous to to have them. But it, it's think about this for a second, Aaron. You hear, you hear this all the time. So many companies, and, and I applaud them. You've got a few companies out there right now that will at least take ownership and admit, yes, we have a quote-unquote diversity problem. And, sure. and they'll own it. And, and I'm like, okay, good for you. But here's what they'll say in, in, at the same time. Yes, we have a diversity problem. But then they'll turn around and they'll say, we only hire culture fits. And I, and I say to myself, okay, mm. do you not see the insanity that you're, you're, you're creating here? Because if you admit you have a diversity problem, but you're saying you only hire culture fits, do you see how you got to the diversity problem? <laughs> and, and so yeah. what, what we do, again, words matter. Um, and, and where that came from, Aaron, I, I, words matter to me is, again, being mixed race in the 70s. Black people didn't like you because you were half white. White people didn't like you because you're oh. half black, and and so you were never white enough. You were never black enough, and and but being called Oreo cookie, chocolate vanilla swirl, zebra, half breed, all these different things, words matter, and and so I came to to realize that when we're talking about people, we aren't looking for culture fits. We're looking for culture ads. People mm. that add to the culture, not fit the culture, because mm. if you're trying to fit a certain culture, you're going to end up with some type of diversity problem. So what we've created specifically to, to your point, me and, and, and why I've been so straightforward with this, we've created a culture of welcome. Not a culture of, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, acceptance, uh, tolerance. And, and here's the new hotness they've tried to come up with, belonging. And, and, and why I push back at belonging is because belonging implies someone doesn't. And so I have created and we have created a culture of welcome. It does not matter who you voted for. It does not matter how you identify. Doesn't matter what pronouns you use. Doesn't matter if you believe in God or if you don't. Are you human? Will you uphold our values? Will you drive results? Will you perform in your role? Yes. Okay. Welcome. And not only yeah. we welcome you to apply, we will continue to welcome you if you are hired. Mm -hmm. It's it's so good, and I think. I don't think anyone listening to what you just said would ever disagree, like on any level. It's like, yes, hell yes. Where I stutter step as a leader is some of the tactical moments, um, like at, at, at a hyper granular level. About maybe five years ago, um, I was interviewing for a project manager position with my agency, Socialite. And I interviewed, I don't know, 24 different uh guys and gals. And the best candidate for the job um, was this gal named Sharia. And we're still dear friends to this day. And Sharia was just, she was a go-getter. She was articulate. She was unbelievable. Just, just, she was just the best fit for the job. She was the best candidate for the job. So I hired her. I didn't even think twice. This is, was, this is way back, you know, five years ago, it feels like 500 years ago in some ways. <laughs> um, but I wasn't like, oh, I want to have a diversity. I was just like, she's the best person for the job. I grew up in Baltimore City. Like, I don't know. I just, I was like, I don't know. She's the best person. So I bring her in and we go and we're running social media for this large trade show. And 
the client we are working for uh, is a legacy healthcare organization. They are based in Ohio and um, very much have a diversity challenge, as in I don't think they had one black person working at their company. And what was crazy is that we were on the trade show floor, and I will never forget this. We had three members of my team, two white gals and a black gal. They're all the same age. They're all the same, not too junior, not too senior. And they kept asking me, the client, and how is she, how old is Sharia? Is she is she she's new with the company? And I'm like, she's 25, just like you know, Alexa and Kylie. She's 25. And they're like, oh yeah. So is she, but has she been working for you for a while? So they keep asking. I'm like, yeah, she's good. And I I I wasn't getting it. What I ultimately later realized, like three days later, duh, is they didn't think that she was up. They they basically were questioning her competency based on how she looked. Yep. And I'm so stupid. I didn't think about that until like later and the moment passed and I missed my moment to be an advocate and to be a champion and to stand up and say the right thing and do the right thing. And it still bugs the shit out of me to this day that I just didn't even think like that. And, and so when we find ourselves in situations where there's an opportunity to be an advocate, to to stand up and it's a tricky situation and that was a that, that was a repeat client for it was it was it was probably 20 percent of our annual revenue it was a big client right um that i had a deep relationship with how can we do better in those moments like it's so it's so interesting i think it's different probably now than five years ago but navigating totally. those waters of like you know the client and their culture and their culture fit and their expectations but then also protecting your team and advocating for your team and also just even shoot being aware like I look back now it's like how stupid could I have been and not understand what they were trying to to communicate here so they weren't comfortable with her she was the only black person in the entire trade show booth out of 100 people and so how can we do better in those moments so so there's a couple of things one you know for for better or worse but I do believe mo mostly better is you nailed it. You know, five five years ago is very different from from right now. So so some of those same companies that that like that company, um, they're dying to work with a company who has minorities and who have because now they don't want to be seen as the company who oh, oh my gosh we we don't work with any uh, minorities people of color women what whatever the the you know insert minority they don't want to be seen that way so that that's a positive yeah. regardless if they if they that's their uh, beliefs or or not it, it's where we are as a society the other piece where i would say here here's very very and, and and i say this with the most respect to you is like you said you didn't catch it at the time what's really important what's going on right now in my opinion is more leaders need to um, ask questions and then sit back and listen, learn and seek to understand because you you can't really identify something if you don't know what it is you're trying to identify and i'm going to give you if, if you give me give me two seconds here with, with this one aaron because this just happened take your time um, this just happened three weeks ago and i, I won't say where, where the, sure. the conference name but i got invited to south carolina to speak on diversity 
Okay. And in general, usually before I get to the conference, I always research where I'm going. I don't care if it's a convention center. I always research where am I going? Sure. Well, on this particular case, I, I took the family with me and we did a road trip out to South Carolina from Austin. And so I get Fun. there and the first day it's raining. So we're, we're in the hotel room and I flip open the laptop. I'm like, okay, where are we? Aaron, I, I'm, I'm looking at this. They bring me out to speak on diversity and the conference is being held on the former plantation. Stop. And, and my, yes, and my wife goes, oh, they didn't tell you that? <laughs> and I go, no. Oh, interesting. So, oh, man. Oh, so man. You can't oh, make this it, up. You can't make, can't make this, this up. up. It gets it gets better. I'm so nervous. I just got started sweating a little bit. Oh, <laughs> so, so what happened? Eric, the next day I, I get up, I go work out. I'm walking around the grounds. And, and I have to say this beautiful, gorgeous place that, that this resort was incredible. I, I Best place I've ever been to in the United States. And, you know, you and I have done some conferences. Sure. And this was by far the most beautiful place I had ever been. So I'm walking around these beautiful trees, mosses hanging from the trees. Well, I see this, this just movie picturesque swing hanging from a tree and I go sit in it. And the moment I sit down, I say to myself, I wonder if any slaves ever hung from this tree. Wow. And so then I get up day one of the conference. I do the whole, whole day, whatever. And, but I, I pick up quickly 90% of the workers at this resort are black. Then I pick up that all the workers have accents. They sound like they're from the Caribbean. So I tell my wife, I said, let me point something out to you here. I go, how did we bring slaves to this country back in the day? I said, we imported them. I said, all these workers have clearly been imported from the Caribbean. I said, so what, so what, what we look at here is, we still have black people working the land. The only difference is they get paid a few dollars and I guess they get to come and go as they please. And, mm. and my wife goes, mm. wow. And I well, said, now, I said, now I'm really going to hit you with something. I said, let's pretend we're in a helicopter back during slavery. And obviously helicopters weren't around back then, but let's pretend we're in a helicopter back during slavery. And we're looking down on this, on this plantation. What do we see? We see black people moving white cotton. I go, if we're in a helicopter right now and we look down, what do we see? We see black people moving white cotton sheets, white cotton tablecloths, but they're still moving white cotton. So day two, I'm up to speak and there's 200 CEOs in this room. Aaron, four black people, which included me, Two of them are married. So we got a real limited group uh, of minorities in this room. And I dig into right what I would just shared with you. And you should have just saw how uncomfortable people were. And now some people I I have so much respect for because they, you know, raise their hand and said, I've never thought about that. And I said, look, Mm -hmm. this isn't an attack on you. I go, I want you to understand it's because you never had to. So until we sit back as leaders, ask questions, listen, learn, and seek to understand, mm-hmm. we're going to continue to find ourselves in a place where we didn't even realize that was a thing. And it's because we're not seeking to understand. We're not asking questions. We're not trying to understand 
Why did Javon change his name back in the 90s? We're not trying to understand why did that client keep asking me about her age? And I'm not picking her, I'm just saying from, mm -hmm. from a perspective, mm -hmm. if we don't ask the questions, if we don't seek to listen, learn, and, and seek to understand, we're just going to continue to be in the same place. And, and my, my last piece on this, Aaron, is we've weaponized words in, in our country, like right now. The word privilege, we use that as a weapon. Oh, well, you're privileged. You didn't have you. Of course you. Oh, white privilege this. And, and so where, where I find weaponizing privilege to be a negative, privilege is only a bad thing if you don't use it to elevate others. Because given my background of how I grew up, where I came from and, and the avenues that I've taken to, to get to where I am. I have a deep privilege, but I also have a deep responsibility to give back now that I have learned something. Mm -hmm. And that is a privilege that I have that I have to give back. And I have that responsibility to teach, coach, and mentor others on what I have learned and what I've accomplished. So it, it's privilege is only a bad thing if you don't use it to elevate others. That's right. Well said. And, and I just honor you for taking such a passionate stance and owning that this is part of the hand that you've been dealt on this iteration on this planet, this go around for Javon McCormick. And I love how you have this, you have this like sense of like positivity and what's possible. And you're, you're having that hard conversation, which is annoying. Cause like, why should you have to sit there on that stage and point this out? Like, it's like, but the fact that you don't sit there and say like, God, this is annoying that I have to even do this. Is everyone not just looking around and seeing this? So I, I really honor your positivity around, okay, it is what it is. Now what? Now what are we going to do? Now what can we control? What can we, what can we advocate for? What can we affect? How can we impact? And it's tough because, you know, so fast forward, maybe like two or three years later, I, I was super haunted by that story with Sharia. So then when everything happened, when you changed your name with the George, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and the blackout squares and Instagram and all this kind of stuff, I started reading all these books, like a lot of us did, to try and better understand, you know, the, uh, the book, like, why am I no longer talking to white people about race and all these. I read like six books. So then I swung the other way. And now I'm the annoying, like, effing, like, woke white bitch, right? And I'm now I'm reaching out. Now I'm over reaching out. And I remember calling, like, a handful of my girlfriends in asking them, like, have I like ever done anything? How can I do better? How, da, da, da. And what was interesting is like looking at it through their eyes, how annoying is that for them? Like, why should so now on top of everything they have to that they've dealt with, now on top of the bias, on top of the hand they've been dealt, now it's up to them to explain to me like what I can do. Like it's just it's complicated. It's hard to, do you know what I'm saying with that? Like, I felt like it was it, almost like extra annoying for them. Cause now it's like this, now that now it's up to them to educate me. Like, so it's like, I feel like it's tough because you swing around this pendulum. And, and I think that the, my big takeaway from hearing you is just like this importance of seeking to understand and active listening and asking and listening and asking and learning and asking and listening. And I mean, that's really where it starts for, for someone listening to this, thinking to themselves, we've been talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion for so long. It's about damn time we do something. I mean, is that where we, is that, that's where they start. Totally. And, 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 you know, the, you're going to get different, different opinions on this one. 
Um, I, I remember, you know, at the, at the height, the, the, the George Floyd murder, you did have several black people who would say just what you said, well, it's not my place to educate you. It's not my place yeah. to, to, to and, and personally for me, again, the di difference of opinion. Um, I personally find that to be bullshit because for years we've complained that, you know, well, they, they, white people don't understand and, and they, you know, they don't listen. They don't care that. Well, now when people started asking questions, oh yes, now we have a responsibility that, okay, people are listening, then we need Got to it. teach and yeah. coach and explain. So if, if they're listening, but truly from a place of seeking to understand. Yeah. Now, if you're just coming at me because uh, you, you're, you're throwing up your black square on Twitter, ah, yeah, get, get sure. out of here. Yeah. Uh, but but someone who's truly seeking that because here's here's the thing, Aaron. Um, so so my wife uh, is blonde haired, blue eyed. So my daughter is, has my skin color, her my my brown eyes, uh, my my curly hair. But my son, our youngest, is is just as as white as a sheet of paper, blue eyes, blonde hair. And so what what's interesting is my kids are growing up in privilege, gated community, private Christian school. But I don't ever want my kids to be embarrassed of their privilege. I've broken my back to, to provide the life that they have. So I'll be damned if anybody ever comes at them in a position of, of making them feel guilty because of how they, they were raised. But they also have to understand that even in our own household, when my daughter walks in the room versus when my son walks in the room and they're they're 27 and 23 years old because they're they're five years apart, um, they're going to be looked at different. And, and mm -hmm. I've got to teach them that and I've got to explain that to them. And and that's that's not a negative. Again, we're we're we are all people. And it does not matter if, if if someone voted for Trump and someone voted for Biden. And, you know, people should be able to have different beliefs without it turning into this massive negative uh, just rage of, of hate sure. towards one another. Sure. Well, it's interesting because you're a modern leader, not only at Scribe, but also within your own home. And I'm just curious. I mean, growing up, we, we didn't talk a ton. You mentioned your childhood briefly, but it, it was a little bit different from the way your kids are growing up. Mm. Right? So, so what is that like as a modern leader in your home where are there moments where in like the gated community and the private school and are there moments where you just look at your kids and you're like you have no freaking idea uh, like is that is that hard to straddle those two worlds like where you came from and where you and, and this beautiful world that you provided for them to, to grow into you know Aaron at first it was so my, my my children are eight seven five and three and uh I struggled with with the, the eight and the seven year old for probably about the first four years because yeah. I I did have this mentality of okay you, you little asses are going to be soft because you don't know what it's like to go to bed hungry and go two days without food and, and, and be in juvenile prison and, and grow up with pimps and drug dealers. And, and, and so it, it, it was very hard for me, even, even my wife and I, at times we, I still joke about it. If the kids will eat, let's say they eat breakfast at nine o'clock and it's about one o'clock and, and one of the kids, Oh, I, I'm hungry. My wife was like, Oh, well, they haven't eaten since nine. And I'm like, 
I would go two days without food. I don't give a damn wow. about one o'clock. And so, wow. so we joke about it now. But <laughs> to your point, here's how I came to receive this situation. Fact of the matter is, I don't care who you are. Unless you grow up in the situation the way I did, you're never going to understand it. You yeah. can take a, a mission trip to another country and see a third world country. But here's the, the, the truth of the matter is you see it and, and maybe you even understand it a little bit. But you know in the back of your mind in a week, you're going back home to your, your, your beautiful home, warm bed, whatever. Unless you have the lived experience, you never really actually understand what it is. So where I flipped this around and said to myself was, okay, one of the greatest gifts that was ever given to me was when I was 10, my dad drove me through a, 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 a neighborhood in Houston called River Oaks, very, very ultra high net worth uh, neighborhood, 10, 15, $25 million homes. Wow. I lived in housing projects. I had never seen anything like that. So what he did was show me possibility. He showed me what was possible. So what I said to myself with my kids is, okay, you're never going to know what it's like to, to have 23 half brothers and sisters and your, your dad was a pimp. You're not going to know my lifestyle and I'm not going to try to force feed it on you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend my time as a father showing you everything that's possible, showing you the presidential suite and you can stay at the Ritz-Carlton, showing you what it's like to fly private, showing you what it's like to have a private tour guide at Disney World, um, the private Christian school, gated communities. I'm going to show you everything that's possible in this world. If, if you want to go to college, I'll pay for that. If you get accepted to Harvard Medical School, I'll pay for that. If you want to start a company, I will give you some seed money to start the company. But here's the deal. After all that, you're on your own because I showed you what mm. was possible. Now you got to go get it. Mm. It's so good, Javon. I mean, it's it really is so good. And you know, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, so my dad was, he's my very best friend. And um my parents have married for 40 years. They're best buds. But they were, I was the first child of three. I have 36 first cousins. And um, I will say my dad, college football player, he raised us on sports analogies. Like everything in life was a sports analogy. He'd be like, huddle up team. And he'd give us the analogy. And so one of the analogies he would tell me is he said the same thing. His story is very similar to you. He grew up in Philadelphia, made his own way, self-made guy. Um, I grew up very differently. My, my, my grandparents were all immigrants from Ireland. My mom, her, her dad was like, why would you ever go to college? You know, and, and so like different but similar in terms of like making their own way in the world. And I'll never forget my dad told me, he's like, I have worked so hard to provide you with, you know, going to this Catholic school and you never have to be hungry and worry about your meal like, you know, we did. And, and he said, so here's the plan. It's called the four in one. Okay, it's football analogy, four and one. He goes, you get four years of college and one wedding, and then you're off the payroll. And I never forget being like, wow, four years of college and one wedding. That's so, that's so generous and kind. Well, I remember being 22 years old, 100% commission sales rep, and couldn't pay the rent, couldn't pay my car payment. You know, I'm in Baltimore City, and I called my dad, and it was like the best thing ever because he was like, honey, he's like, I told you, this is the four and one. I got you four years of college. I took care of you. You've been given everything you need to go out there and make your way in the world. 
And he goes, I love you. You got this. And he hung up on me. And My I'm his, man. And I'm his favorite, you know? And I'm like, dad, like what? But it was the best thing he ever did because I can tell you in that moment, it was terrifying. And I boohooed the whole night. But then fast forward, it's like, you know, I sold my company in January and I've achieved these dreams I never even thought possible. And I, I live this life and, and everyone's like, oh, it must be nice. It's not. It's like, no, I mean, you can live an ordinary life or an extraordinary life, but it's up to you. And, and to have a dad that says, I'm going to equip you with all the tools you need, but I'm not going to live it for you. Yep. That part is up to you. That's the greatest you. gift you can ever give. You, you you have to. It's it, it's funny. I love that your dad threw the the wedding in there as well because my wife and I talk about it because we have two daughters. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and I say to her, I'm like, I don't know if I could pay for a wedding. And she goes, What? <laughs> and I go, I'd, I'd rather buy him a house. And, and she goes, That's 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 kind of. And she goes, But why why a house and not the wedding? I go. And I go, I know it's cynical and I, I know I'm optimistic and I'm positive. And so I know this is a very cynical way to look at this. I go, because if I buy her a house, I can put the house in my name. And if something ever happens, then, then, then she gets to keep the house. And, and, and so, and, and, you know, if I course, I keep the house. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. No, it, it, I, I have yeah. a lot of respect for what your dad did there. That's, yeah. that's good father fatherhood. And Right. Oh, and then I would, well, his nickname's Brick because he had bright red hair growing up. Now it's gray. But um, he also would just grill my boyfriends and, you know, grill my boyfriends. And I remember he'd always say, remember, you only get one wedding. And so I waited till I was 35 to get married because I, I had to make sure it was the right one. He's sitting over here, my AV guy here, Hartman King. So I think I... I think it all worked out for the best, but no, I mean, JT, you're just the best. I adore your energy. Congratulations so much on the success of your book, Modern Leader. Everyone pick it up. Um, if you're listening to this podcast and you are a, a coach, an entrepreneur, if you're someone that has a story in you that needs to be told, I can tell you firsthand, I was one of the very first clients at Scribe Media and the team over there is just phenomenal. So if you have a book in you, check out Scribe Media. Um, I'll put my affiliate link actually in the show notes. There so you, you go. Head over there and check them out. But um, every award that you've gotten, all the energy that you put out in the world, the goodness you're doing as, as the leader of your own home and also the leader of Scribe, but then the impact you're making in your community. I'm just honored to know you and thank you for sharing this time together um, on my podcast. I really appreciate it. It was, it was a really incredible conversation. So thanks. Uh, Aaron, I, th this was great. I was so, I, I was humbled, flattered, or appreciative when I got your email. And, and I got to share this with you because you, you're, you're right. You remember when we were on that uh, picnic picnic table that, that we actually still have here in, in the <laughs> office. We put a plaque on it and it, it shows, you know, uh, Book in a Box 2016 slash Scribe Media. But, but I, I, I got to hit you with this. We've now worked with over 2,000 authors. Um, and in, in the last seven years, and, and, you know, some of the big one, David Goggins, you know, one best-selling memoirs of all time, but one of my favorite, the Nobel, uh, committee, you know, and I always joke if, if our quality is good enough for the Nobel committee, no one else has a problem. And, and so it's been incredibly, wow. uh, an honor humbling, especially because I can't tell you an adverb from an adjective. I got a GED. I can't spell. They still won't let me proofread. Yeah, like this is some real <laughs> bullshit going on in here. That, yeah, I still won't, they won't let me proofread. But yeah, no, it, it's been great. So I, I, I'm immensely honored that you, you had me on. Oh, well, I hope to see you in real life very soon, JT. I hope we can cross paths and have some laughs, have some chats. And I'm just, I'm watching you. I'm cheering you on. Your star is on the rise. And again, thank you so much.
Aaron King. Thank you, ma'am. Well, friends, what did I tell you? Oh, Javon has so much to offer. And guess what? This episode was just the beginning. Check out his new book, Modern Leader, available everywhere books are sold to understand more about how you can evolve your leadership style to guide and encourage your team in this complex, ever-evolving new world of work. For modern leadership lessons straight to your inbox, you can visit javonmccormick.com backslash newsletter. And finally, as an author and a speaker, I cannot recommend working with his company, Scribe Media, enough. If you have an idea that you've wanted to bring to the world and turn into a book, his team can help guide you through the entire process start to finish. Well, friends, thank you so much for spending time with me today. And I hope that this episode has gotten you one step closer to living a life that you truly love on your terms. Thank you so much for investing your heart, your mind, of course, your time with me here today. And it is my deepest hope that you have gleaned at least a few new nuggets on how to better live a life that you love on your terms. You can subscribe to see all of my weekly episodes. And if you have time, you can send a screenshot of your review of the podcast to onyourterms at erinking.com. And you'll be sent a free access pass to my digital persuasion masterclass, where you'll learn how to attract attention, increase your influence, and sell smarter from behind the screen. I hope that you'll join me next week for another episode of On Your Terms. And until then, let's connect on Instagram at Mrs.Aaron.King. Till next time, friends.